today on Anchored in the Word. Theistic evolution. In other words, you can bring God and this teaching together in the middle, right? You bring it in the middle. It's a little bit of Genesis and a little bit of men's wisdom there. Little Genesis, little Charles Darwin, and, and others, by the way. But, and we'll bring it to the middle. There we go, we fixed it. No, we didn't fix anything. You've just lukewarmed yourself. You, 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 you can't believe either it's true or it's not true what the Bible teaches. You can't embrace both. This is Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey, with our pastor and teacher, Bill Beckelman. In today's message, Pastor Bill shares with us the status of the lukewarm Christian in today's world. When we try to embrace the ways of the world, we lose the ability to be happy in Jesus. We will learn a lesson today from the church in Laodicea concerning the dangers of settling somewhere in the middle when it comes to serving Christ. At the close of Pastor Bill's message, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Anchored in the Word. Subscribe to the podcast or simply get in touch with us. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 15, with today's study. I wish you were cold or hot. I could, I, you could, I could use you if you were hot. I could reach you if you were cold, but you're right in the middle. You're lukewarm. Now, see the thing right in the middle. Think of the middle for a minute, right there in the middle. And it may seem like a good place, right? Oh, right in the middle, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Right in the middle. I'm embracing some of the world, and, and we're embracing some of God, right? It's got maybe a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. That's the lie of the enemy. The lukewarm Christian has enough of Jesus to satisfy a craving for religion, but not enough for eternal life. Deep down, there is no one more miserable than the lukewarm Christian. They have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus, but too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. It's nowhere you want to live. And it happens a little bit at a time. Just like that glass of water, that cup of tea. It's not all... you know, yeah, the time seems like sometimes I'll pick up my tea. I haven't been drinking this for that long. It's like it happens surprisingly. You get busy doing something, right? Next thing you know, lukewarm comes. But a way that lukewarm happens is when you try to bring in and embrace the ways of the world. I'll give me an example, one example. And, and there may be some of you here today that believe in evolution as is taught in the schools, because it's not just taught, it's embraced, and anybody who doesn't believe that is a moron. You can be taught that in higher education, in universities. And um, even though there's no evidence for it, even though the man who wrote the book that they keep referring to said, if, there's no, if, there, if time goes by and there is, and there is no um, transitional form that's found between an ape, let's say an ape and a man, you know, where an ape turns into man, if they don't find something or any in-between when these species are changing into something else, if they are really doing this, we should find one that's in the middle of changing, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense, right? 
There's everything's changing into something else. So eventually you'd find one that's half this and half that. That makes perfect sense, right? Logic. He says, if they don't find those transitional forms, I got a problem with this. That's what Charles Darwin said. Well, guess what? We haven't found any. And the only ones that they use in the textbooks are lies. They've been, they've been refuted, but they still use them. The point is, there's no basis, scientific basis for that, other than to bully somebody else into believing it. Now, it's a lie. It's one of the lies, but people believe that. Now, some people say, well, you know what? There's theistic evolution. Theistic evolution. In other words, you can bring God and this teaching together in the middle, right? You bring it in the middle. It's a little bit of Genesis and a little bit of men's wisdom there. Little Genesis, little Charles Darwin, and, and others, by the way. But, and we'll bring it to the middle. There we go, we fixed it. No, we didn't fix anything. You've just lukewarmed yourself. You, 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 you can't believe either it's true or it's not true what the Bible teaches. You can't embrace both. There are people that are trying to embrace both and walk. They want the middle ground. No, there is no middle ground. You end up being no witness at all when you choose to be that kind of a witness. And some people say, well, we have to reach the world, so we've got to be more like them. No, you don't. You reach the world by being more like Christ. That's how you reach the world. And there are other things, and I'm sure you can, you can think of them, that creep into, that's a word you use, creep into the church, where people try to embrace it and take a middle ground. Oh, it can't be the way God says it. For the things that we know now, you know, we are getting smarter because of the evolutionary theory. We're getting, we're getting smarter and smarter and smarter as we go. Right? We're evolving. So we're learning, we know things now that uh, the people just didn't know about people. Is the ancients. The ancient of days has given us his book, and he changes not. If he is who he claims to be, think about it. If he knows everything, if he created us, when he wrote this book a long time ago, you could say it, was, it still pertains today, because he knew the end from the beginning, right? I mean, that makes perfect sense. He, if he is who he claims to be, then everything in there should, should be uh, applicable to us today. We don't have to change it because we are living in changing times, you know, or something like that. You know, the Bible tells us there's nothing new under the sun. God doesn't have to change, and he hasn't changed. And so this idea the Laodicean church was relying on their own strength to probably reach the people around them, and hence they were coming in the middle. They were, they were in the middle. They had no backbone. They wouldn't stand for anything. And the things of the world that they were trying to embrace, for whatever reason, that made it persecution less or whatever it was, they became in this place this lukewarm state. Good for nothing but to, to have a good vomit. And, and that's not a good place to be. And he tells them in verse 17, and basically verse 17 is telling us, is going to show us their view of themselves. Because they didn't even know this. Because what we're describing right now isn't a very good description of someone or, or a church, but yet they didn't even understand that. They, they were living in lukewarmness and they didn't even know it. He says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Money, I'm sure, was a part of it. That was a very rich place, Laodicea. Very wealthy, probably a very wealthy congregation. But they didn't just have the money. You see, everything that came with that, they were embracing the wisdom of the world. That was to, they had all that. They, they were self-sufficient there in Laodicea. They didn't need Jesus. 
They didn't need God. They had a lot of strength. Remember what it said about Philadelphia? They had a little strength. Man, they were on fire. They had a little strength. They, they, so they got to experience in their weakness they were strong because God takes that little strength and he pours out his grace on that. And man, he empowers the church. And things, unbelievable things happen for Jesus there in that situation. And they didn't need that. They didn't need Jesus for that. They had, they had power. They, they had the power of the world because money buys things, right? Money buys things. You can buy a crowd with money even. You can. And it's, if you don't believe me, listen. It can buy the presidency. Wait, what are you saying? Listen. And I just noticed this in the last couple of cycles, maybe because I wasn't paying attention. Maybe it's always been like this. But the big thing that they're asking about the candidates is not so much what are their positions on this. It's like, how much money have they raised? Right? Are we hearing that all the time? Well, they've raised X, X, X. Okay, so what are you saying by that? If you're behind, oh, we're behind, we're way behind on fundraising. What are you saying? The more money you have, that you're going to get elected, whoever has the most money? Is that what we've become? Well, there you go. You got the power. If you got the money, you got the power, right? There's probably not a better place on earth right now where we are fostering or there is a, just a, a place where the, the lukewarm church could exist but in America because of the way things are. The things that we possess, the things that we have, the, the wisdom that we're, the man's wisdom that we're buying into today and, and trying to bring into the church. The, the Laodicean church is the, probably the church in America by and large, generally speaking. And we don't need God. That's an old idea. That's, you know, goes way back. The idea of God. Things have changed. And so they were relying on their own strength. They, had, they didn't need anything. They didn't need God. And so when you don't need God, you push him out or you stop seeking him. You don't need him anymore. You got this thing. Thanks, God, for getting this kick started. We don't need you anymore. We don't need your gifts anymore. We don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. We've got what we need. We know how to reach people. We can do this. We know how to feed the poor. We, we know how to fight disease. You know, these things that, and they've forgotten that sin is the real problem. These other things are just a byproduct of that. And Jesus is still the answer for sin, the problem of the world. So they didn't even understand it. They're saying, we're rich, we're wealthy. We have need of nothing. And Jesus says, and this is the sad part, you do not know, verse 17, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Their righteousness was as filthy rags. You know, they're on their best day. This is what, how Jesus sees them. And that was their real condition, not the one that they had of themselves. But that was the real condition that they existed in, but they didn't understand it. So Jesus doesn't just beat them up with that understanding. He tells them the truth. It's right there, verse 17. But now in verse 18, he tells them what they need to do. He tells them what they need to do. He says, I counsel you. He hasn't given up on them. He's not saying, I judge you. He hasn't done that. I counsel you to buy from me. They were into buying things. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. I'm sure there's a lot, even in those days, gold was, has always been a precious commodity, right? Still is. The thing about gold, you know, people, and through times of hard, when, when, when money's been funny and this and that, and the other people that have invested in gold, they talk about that. It's always going to get you through kind of thing if you invest in gold. I always think, wait a second, 
You can't eat it. You can't eat gold, right? You, you can't really build a house out of it. You can't start a fire with it. I, I don't think it burns. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? If you need to keep warm. So when it comes right down to it, the things that really will sustain us when things really fall apart, I don't know how powerful. It's nice to look at, right? Make a nice paperweight or something, right? Because it's, but Jesus said this, he says, and this is the key that he's, that he's talking about. He says, you need to buy from me. You need to come to me to get this stuff. And he says, I've got gold that's refined in the fire. That meant gold that was pure. It speaks to something that's very pure. The things of the world, not pure at all. They can be disguised to look like they're pure. And if enough people are deceived and to believe that things are pure, and, yeah, that's pure, that's right, that's pure, that's right. That's the way it should be. And then people are, uh, yeah, that's right. The more people get on board of this thing, that's right. You know, lies told enough, people start believing it. The problem is we need to look at the word of God to the pure one himself to say, tell us what is pure. He says, this is stuff that's refined in the fire. And his word, Psalm 19, talks about the word of God. You know, that it's, 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 pure, it's, it's better than pure gold. He says, pure gold, the word of God. Very important for us. They've gotten away from the word of God, guarantee you. Guarantee. And they were embracing other things. It keeps you close to the fire when you stay in the word of God. It keeps you close to him. And he says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you, that you may be clothed, his holiness, that the shame of your nakedness not be, may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. They were thinking they were seeing, but they weren't. They were blinded to the things that were real. They were deceived. They were lukewarm. And really, there was nothing eternal that was happening. They weren't reaching the lost. A lot of people in the church probably weren't even saved. They thought they were okay. They're the hardest people to reach. They've got their religion. It's basically a cultural religion, really, if you think about it. I'm thinking about myself growing up. I had that. That's all I needed. So I, well, I don't need anything else. I've got that covered. I've got the God corner covered in my life. But I don't have a clue who God is and his son Jesus. I really don't, you know. But they're the hardest people to reach. The lukewarmers, the ones that think they're okay, that are embracing something. It's a form of godliness, but it's denying the power thereof. But Jesus said, you need to come to me. Notice that the key here is you get it from me. You need to go back to the fire. And he reminds them in verse 19 of his love. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. What's Jesus saying? Look, I love you. If I didn't, I wouldn't be telling you this. You know, there are some people that love you enough to tell you the truth. And Jesus is one of them. And he'll always do that. That's the reason that we go to the word of God, because he will tell us the truth and he'll always tell us in love. And he reminds us that, you're a child of God. That proves that you're a child of God if you're rebuked when you come under conviction. That means you're a child of God. But he's telling them. This is where Laodicea went wrong. They say, okay, yeah, you're a sinner. Don't feel so bad about yourself, all right? Everybody's doing that. As a matter of fact, the more the days go on, a lot more people are doing it. So don't feel so bad about it. 
after all, does the Bible really say anything against that anyway? I mean, think about it. Did Jesus really say that that was wrong? You know, has God said? Boy, that's the original lie, isn't it? Undermining God's word. And that's, I'm sure, what they were doing. Be comfortable in your sin. Be comfortable in your sin. I'm hoping that at this church, if you come here, if you're living your life in sin, you won't be able to sit there very long. You won't come back because you'll be convicted of your sin. To me, that's a healthy thing. That shows that God is working through the preaching of his word and through the gathering together of these people. In lukewarmness, you know, everybody was sitting there, they were doing, you know, Corinthian church, you get all that stuff going on, everybody's, you know, they were happy about, oh man, we're a loving church. We're a loving church, we tolerate all kinds of sin. Everything's fine here. I can't judge anybody. But Jesus is reminding them, look, I'm telling you this because I love you. But he does say, you need to repent. Be zealous, be on fire. He's not embracing you to be cold, by the way. Okay, This word zealous means be on fire. Be on fire and repent. That's where fire comes from, by the way. If you find yourself right now in a place of where you're kind of cooled off, you need to repent. Go back to the fire. There's something in your life that has become more important to you than Jesus. That's just what it comes back to. Whatever it is. It happens to all of us at some time in our walk with Jesus. But just know that the answer for that is to repent, to turn from whatever that is and turn back to him. And man, he's going to crank up that fire. And he's going to, that, that fire is going to be burning, going to be burning. You're going to be on fire for him. Now we get to verse 20. And we see this is a very famous verse used a lot of times. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Picture the idea of Jesus being on the outside, right? He's not inside the church. He's outside. He says, I'm outside. I'm knocking on the door. And he's saying to them, I, you need to open the door. Jesus is not going to bust down the door. And by the way, in Philadelphia, we just read that he, that he can open doors that no man can close. Amen. It's not that he's not able to do that. It said he won't do it because you need to exercise your free will and love it and your faith. So he says, I want you to open the door. I want you to open the door. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. What's interesting about this is he doesn't say, if you hear me knocking. You know, that song, if I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. No, he doesn't say that. He says, if you hear my voice, I'm knocking, but if you hear my voice. Open the door that I could come in. See, my sheep hear my voice. My sheep, he doesn't say my sheep hear my knock. My sheep hear my voice. It's important that we have an ear to listen for his voice. And we know we go to the word. That's what we're doing. And we all had people at our door before, probably, where the people knocking on the door and you just say, oh, boy, I don't want to answer that. Right? I know it's coming with that. It's, it's a this or a that. It's a, you know, the fuller brush man. Am I that old? Yeah, I guess I must be. The fuller brush man or somebody out there. You know, if you let them in, you'll never get rid of them or whatever, right? And because you wonder, why wouldn't they open the door? If you, hear, if you hear my voice. Maybe in that lukewarm place, there was just some that weren't going to hear. It was a seared conscience, maybe. 
we're, we're seeing a lot of things now just where people are so hardened to things that they can't even see things that are just so simple to see. It's amazing. We can see that in this nation, you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy, but apparently you can become so callous that you, that you can't hear anymore the voice. He says, if you, anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, there it is. You must do something. You, you must risk whatever you think, because you don't know maybe what's going to happen if you open that door. Maybe Jesus, he's mad. He's surely got to be mad about this. You know, he gave, gave me everything I needed. He saved me, and now I'm lukewarm. Of course he's upset about that, right? Well, it doesn't say he's going to come in here and box your ears. He's going to come in here and, and give you a, a, a spanking, a yelling, or something like that. Thunder and lightning is going to come in when you open the door. It says, I'm, I'm going to come in and eat with you. That's his answer to fix things? I'm going to come in and eat with you? Yeah, that's the answer. Communion. In other words, this idea of you have, you've gotten away from what's most important, and that's Jesus himself, and he's, just, he's letting you know, I'm knocking on the door, you hear my voice, let me in. Let me in, I want to eat with you. But you're going to eat with me, then you're going to leave, and what's going to, that's going to change you. See, dining, eating in those days, it was not the fast food, not to go through the, in your car, you're driving by yourself and you go through the fast food and you go up to the window and, and being, you know, you're getting your food and you're eating by, it's, it wasn't like that at all. And that's the extreme, I'm sure, example of what, but eating was, was, it was a thing that you set and you shared conversation, you shared food together. It was an event. It was an event. Visiting, you know, and, and it was very intimate. The people that you ate with, you just didn't eat with everybody. You know, when you ate with someone, you, you shared, you swapped some germs. I mean, you know, really, and, and there was an, there's an intimacy to that. And, and that's what Jesus is talking about, intimacy. He says, you open that door, and I'm going to come in and dine with you. Do you deserve the dining? No. I mean, you, you, they got away from him. They, they went and did their own thing. And it's not like they didn't have enough information. They had all that. But they chose. They got in their own strength, man. They chose the wealth and the, and the doing things on their own, embracing all these other ways. And the middle of the road they chose. And, and it says, Jesus says, just change what you're doing right now. Just open the door and let me in. I'm knocking at the door. This is a great verse. This is, a, this is a very hopeful verse. He says, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. There's something very intimate going on there. That's what we need. That's what Laodicea needed. From Hollywood to the latest top-selling books, the world is abuzz with talk about the end times. Apocalyptic events on the horizon seem to fuel this trend. Our world is so upside down. It's no wonder that people are clamoring for something more, something new. The book of Revelation details these dark and glorious times that are on the horizon. May we hear and see Jesus as we study this book with Pastor Bell. You've been listening to Anchored in the Word, the radio ministry of Pastor Bill Beckelman of Calvary Chapel Coastlands in Eatontown, New Jersey. If today's teaching has ministered to you and you'd like to tell a friend about this message, 
or you'd like to listen to it again, it's archived at our website. That address is anchoredintheword.com. Perhaps today's message was exactly what you're looking for in a church. If you don't have a home church and you sense God is calling you to walk in obedience to Him, by being a part of the body of believers, please join us for worship Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Pastor Bill also shares in-depth Bible studies every Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. For more information, including driving directions, visit anchoredintheword.com and then follow the link to the Calvary Chapel Coastlands Church website. We hope to see you soon. Thanks for listening today. Now please place a marker in your Bibles and make plans to join us again as Pastor Bill will continue teaching verse by verse through the book of Revelation. It's our heart's desire that you would be moored in sound doctrine and anchored in the Word. I'm anchored in the Word.